yes. It is a huge opportunity for us to leverage a week where we get to love on, play with, spend great time with children that are our children and in this community and share with them the love of Jesus and hopefully see their lives change forever. So it's an awesome opportunity for our church. So excited uh, for that coming in the months ahead this summer. All right, we are continuing our series in the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 12 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Really, this is Abraham part one. Do you ever wonder in your life, am I doing this thing right? Like this, this Christianity thing, right? Like, am I doing it right? You know, maybe you, maybe you go to a camp or a, a conference, a women's retreat or men's retreat, or maybe you were at a revival or maybe you went on a mission trip and, and you came back and you were on fire. And you were living for the Lord and you were reading your Bible every day and you weren't missing church and, and you were sharing Jesus with everyone you came in contact with and then maybe that began to fizzle out a little bit. Maybe that began to kind of wane a little bit. And then you begin to wonder with the ups and downs and ups and downs and mountains and valleys and mountains and valleys, am I doing this thing right? Is Am I, am I broken? Is there something wrong with me? Why can't I stay with it? Why can't I keep up? And maybe in your heart a little bit, you wonder, I'm just not sure if I can keep God in my good graces. You know, I, I'm not sure if I can keep God on my side because I keep kind of doing good and then kind of backsliding a little bit and having seasons in my life of great faithfulness and obedience and then seasons of my life of, of great failure. And you begin to wonder, am I, am I alone in this? Are other people like this? Am I doing this thing right or, or not? And you get exhausted and you begin to wonder, man, does God still love me? This morning I want us to really answer this question of what, what does this Christian walk in life really look like? And I think Abraham for us will be a helpful model to tell us of what it should look like. So let's dig into God's word and find out, uh, not Romans, Genesis chapter 12. Moses writes as he is carried along and inspired by the Holy Spirit, these words starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in in Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward Nagib. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you tell me that, that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to, for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. May its eternal truths be written on our hearts. You see, Abraham, at the beginning of this story, at this point in his life, has everything going for him. The text tells us that, that he has a smoking hot wife, right? It says that several times. It says that he's, he's a successful businessman. He, he is very rich. He's got all these animals, all this livestock, all this money, all these servants. He's got slaves. He's got all these people to do things for him. He was born into a prominent family, as we'll see. And he was deeply religious growing up in Ur. But despite all of that, despite all of those things, what we find is that Abraham is a poor lost sinner in search of more. You see, even though God, last week we talked about the Tower of Babel, and even though God stopped the rebellion of the people at Babel, not much had changed in the hearts of men. There were no people following after God. Even Abraham, who is in the line of Adam and Noah and Seth and Shem, the most important godly line there was, even Abraham was a pagan who lived in Ur and worshipped the moon god named Nana or Nana. See, even those who we would at least expect had forgotten who God was. And the world was without hope. Abraham was without hope. But hope still comes as hope always comes, not through our efforts, but through the initiating grace of God to call sinners to himself. Hear that. The initiating grace of God to call sinners to himself. Notice verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abraham is not a seeker. He is not out looking, testing the religious waters, wondering if there's more out there. He's not looking for God. He thought he had God. He thought he had everything. But what we see is that God comes to him. That God came to him. God came to Abraham and called him. Called him to leave his old life, to leave all of those things behind him, and to follow God alone. So God calls him to leave his home, to leave his national identity. He calls him to leave his family, to leave his father's name and legacy. 
It's called him to leave his old religious beliefs. And he calls him to go to a new land. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going. Just start going. I'll tell you when you get there. God calls Abraham to salvation, to true faith, to a, have a transformed life, to leave your old life behind and find a new one. But you see, guys, what I want you to see this morning is that though the gift of salvation is completely free, it is not easy. Salvation is free, but it is not easy. You see, this is not unique to Abraham. This call of God to Abraham to forsake what is his, his now and to follow God is not a unique call. It is the same call that came to you and I if you are a follower of Jesus. This is exactly the call that Jesus placed on people's lives in the Bible. And it's the same call he gives to us. Remember Matthew 16, 25? If you want to find your life, lose it. Luke 14, 26 If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus has offered us salvation completely free, but what we learn is that it will actually cost you everything. No one probably knows this much better than Afshin Ziafat, who's a pastor in Texas. When Afshin was... In first grade, he moved from Iran uh, to America, and he didn't speak English. He spoke Farsi, the language of Iran. And uh, war had broken out in Iran, and so his family was retreating and fleeing that country, and they came to America. And as he didn't speak English, his parents knew that he was going to need to, so they got him a tutor. And this tutor begins to teach him English over the next few years. And as they kind of get close to finishing this Lady hands Ashen Ziafat a Bible, a little New Testament, one of those little Gideon New Testaments, right? And hands him this, and he says, this is the most important book you'll ever read. And Ashen, he, he doesn't read it right away, he puts it in his closet, and years go by, and he doesn't think about it again, because his family was a prominent Muslim family in the community. He was raised to know the five pillars of Islam, and he knew that Jesus was only a prophet, nothing else, and that he had to follow Allah and follow the five pillars of Islam because of his dad and, and everything that was ingrained in him. But when he became, at sometime in high school, he got curious And he wanted to know a little bit more about this Jesus. And so he went into his closet and dug into his closet. And he found that old little Bible that that English teacher gave him. And he pulled it out and he began to read it. And eventually he began to believe it. He began to believe the things in it were true. But what he would say is that even after he began to believe those things, he didn't realize what it was going to cost him. He didn't realize the cost of what it meant to follow Jesus. And, 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 and so as he kind of begins to grow in his faith, he begins to sneak out to go to church. It, it, you, know, you know how you did when you were in school? You would put extra clothes in your backpack so you would have different clothes at school than what your parents knew you were wearing? He kind of did that. And he, had, he would wear different clothes and he would sneak out and he would go and meet with church and then come back and act like he was doing something else. And he hid this from his father for over a year until somehow his father found out. And the disappointment on his father's face was evident. And he set his son down and he said, son, you know our family is Muslim. You know we follow Allah. And you must choose. And, and Ashen said he loves his father, loved his father dearly. And his father looks at him in the eyes and he says, you will either follow Jesus or me. If you want to follow Jesus, you'll get out of my house where you can have me. But you can't be a part of my, you can't be my son and follow Jesus. And 
And Ashton in that moment was says, terrified. I didn't know what to do. But God gave him the strength and reminded him of some of these verses that you must hate your father and mother and forsake everything. And, and he looked at him and he said, Dad, I love you, but I've got to follow Jesus. And he said, son, you're dead to me. Get out of my house. See, do we count the cost? Do we know the call that Jesus has placed in our life? You know, baptism for us is, a, is an often an easy thing. We have this tub that we get to heat up and schedule when you want to do it. And everybody's going to cheer you when you get baptized. But do you know what happens in other countries? The moment of your baptism is the moment your family leaves you. The moment you are baptized is the moment that you declare to the world that you're a follower of Jesus. And it is the moment your family says you are dead to us. Don't ever come home again. We must count the cost of following Jesus. When God calls us to salvation, he calls us to a whole new life. We leave behind everything else that we once held dear. We lay it at Jesus' feet and we say, I want you more than all of this other stuff. And if I've got to lose all this to have you, it is well worth it. Notice also that God has called Abraham to physically leave, to go to a land. He's going to let you, just go and leave, and I'm going to let you know when you get there, right? There's no promise of safety. There's no promise of comfort or provision. There's no promise that it's going to be okay, that he's going to pack all this stuff up and leave. And I'll let you know when you get there. The only promise he has is that it'll be worth it. That all the trials and all the heartache and all the suffering and all the pain in the end will be worth it. Because as verse 2 says, he says, I will bless you. See, the reason for centuries, Christians have been burned at the stake, fed to lions in the Colosseum, had molten lava poured over them as pitch to burn to light the Colosseum. As Christians have beheaded and, and been arrested and skinned alive in prisons in China, Why would you endure all of that? But Philippians 3.8 that says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may engage in Christ. See, when God calls you and when you follow him, there is no promise of a good life. There is no promise of riches or comfort. In fact, Jesus often says the opposite, right? He says the opposite. If you're going to follow me, look what they did to me. They're going to do it to you too. You're going to suffer. You want to follow me? Come and suffer. Come and die. See, like us, Abraham doesn't know the end of the journey that God has called him on. He only knows the next step, and he has to trust God with the rest. See, the call of God is not a get-out-of-hell-free card. The call of God is, is not just believe the right things, and you're good. You'll go to heaven. The call of God is a call to to a transformed life. That's why Jesus calls it a new birth. Because once you follow Jesus, you will never be the same. It is literally like you were born again. So this morning, if you are saved, like Abraham, God called you. Like Jesus to the disciples, Jesus said, come, follow me. And you responded Right, because that's how it works. God calls and we respond. Abraham responds to the word of God. He believes and obeys. Verse four, when he says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him 
right? If you read that too quickly, it just looks like, man, Abraham's got this. He just obeyed, right? He just did exactly what the Lord said, man, good for him. But we miss it when we read too quickly. There's something you must notice. The Lord calls Abraham, but Abraham's response to the Lord is not perfect. Abraham only partially obeys. He is not just immediately this perfectly transformed, righteous, holier than thou, on fire for the Lord dude. That's not who he is. He responds to the Lord, yes, but it is an imperfect response. Notice, God told him to leave his father's house and go to the land that he will show him, but that's not what Abraham does. He doesn't leave his father's house. The previous chapter gives an overview of what happened, and Terah, his dad, went with them. And do you know what happened next? They stopped. They settled in Haran. And so they don't continue on to the land that God would show them. They stop and they settle there. And theologians speculate that Terah, Abraham's father, wanted the blessing that God had promised to Abraham. And so he decided to go with them. But notice also that Abraham brings Lot, his nephew, which is his family. And God said, leave your kindred behind. Chapter 11 shows us he doesn't make it far. They stop in Haran. You see, Abraham has partial obedience. And it is not until his father dies that he leaves Haran and continues to follow God's plan. But even, if he, even when he does that, even after he continues on, he still brings his nephew Lot with him. You see, Abraham's response to the word of God is not perfect. It is deeply flawed. He's trying. He's trying to believe. He wants to follow God, but he kind of sort of halfway does it. I point this out because when the word of God came to you, when you responded to the gospel being preached to you, your response was imperfect as well. I don't know what it looked like for you. Maybe uh, you were in a church service and you walked the aisle. Maybe you were at youth camp. Uh, maybe you were at children's camp. Maybe you were at a revival service. Maybe you were at home in your bed and the truth just hits you like a ton of bricks. And, and right there, you just received the Lord. But however it happened, your response of faith was imperfect and flawed like Abraham's. Because I, I remember I was when I was growing up and believe God was real and and but was so terrified right that he didn't love me or that I wasn't saved and I remember laying in bed every single night for a long time praying the same prayer over and over again God if I didn't mean it last night I mean it tonight forgive me save me and the next night God if I didn't say it the right way last night let me and I would try to say it a different way I would try to form the words differently and and, and want to make sure I got it all right and all accurate and God if I didn't mean it well if I wasn't genuine last night I'm genuine tonight I'm so sorry for my sin please forgive me and for a long time day after day uh, for a long time I was in this turmoil right like I just don't know if I'm safe and secure I don't know if the Lord has me but I want you to notice something God calls Abraham to leave his home and start following him. Did you catch what the Lord said before? Before Abraham responds in faith, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will bless the whole world through you. You see, before Abraham responds, before he even partially obeys, God told him, I will accomplish these things. Do you know what that means for you right now? If you have heard the word of God, listen to me, if you've heard the word of God, if you've heard the gospel and you responded to it, if you believed in it, if you knew you were a sinner, ask God to forgive you, if you trusted in Christ, 
It doesn't matter how little faith you had. It doesn't matter how puny faith you had. It doesn't matter the quality of your faith. If your faith was in Christ, faith does not save you. The object of your faith saves you. And so often we wonder, man, I wonder if I have enough faith. I wonder if my faith is good enough. I wonder if it's powerful enough. I wonder if it's genuine enough. But it is not your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. It is Jesus who saves you. So rest easy. Jesus is the one doing it. It's almost like any little turn in his direction, he is ready to lavish. He's trigger happy with grace, ready to lavish it on you. It's just ready to dump blessing and dump grace on you. God is not sitting up in heaven going, no, you didn't say that prayer quite right. You probably should go to VBS and get those ABCs down. Make sure you, you know, you confess in the wrong order. You make sure you do this. He's not up there saying that. He's, he's, he's on pins and needles and he's ready. And the second that you come, he's like, yes, they're mine. Got them. Child of God. The gospel comes empowered, it breaks our rebellious, sinful hearts, and we turn to him and say, Jesus, I need you, and he says, you're mine. See, there are many of you in this room, and you struggle, if you were honest, you struggle, and you doubt your salvation, but if you are clinging to Jesus, if you believe the gospel, rest easy, child of God. For as Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. See, Abraham's flawed response to the call of God encourages us this morning because our flawed responses to God are all he needed to transform us. So don't look to a moment. Don't put your trust in a moment of your response to the call. Look to the one who called you. But after Abraham's father dies and He's followed the call and his father dies and he heads on up to Canaan. He, he begins to fully obey God. Like it's like Abraham turns a corner and he begins to, he's doing everything right now. Verse five says, and then Abram took his wife Sarai and Lot, his brother's son and all their possessions they had gathered and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. But hold on a minute, who are these people? Who are these people that they acquired? Commentaries say that these are, these are not slaves, these are not servants. That's not the word for that. But rather, Abraham, it seems, began to share this message of God that he was going to bless the whole world. And people began to believe it and began to follow Abraham. You see, these are not slaves. These are converts. They were following Abraham because they wanted the blessing that God was bringing to the world. See, Abraham was so excited about what God was doing, he was sharing this story. Abraham's rough start had had gotten better. He was following the Lord. He's sharing his faith. He's leading others to God. And it gets better, right? He's out in a really tough situation now. He's continuing to follow God. But verse 6 tells us that he had passed through the Shechem of the Oak of Morah, which is a place of witchcraft. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. See, this part of the journey... He had to live amongst people that were just like him. You see, when Abraham lived in Ur, he worshipped Nana, the moon god, and archaeologists will tell us that they find all kinds of human sacrifices to this god. That Abraham was a part of that. Abraham was a part of the slaughtering of innocent people to the worship of his god. He worshipped idols. He was entrenched in that. That was who he was. And now he's a follower of Yahweh, of God, and He's living amongst people, the Canaanites, who were doing the very things he used to be doing. 
and yet he's supposed to be faithful in front of them. How hard this is for us. Especially for us who didn't grow up in church, who grew up in sinful habits and behaviors, right? And then we, we get saved out of that. But then when you go back to work or when you go hang out with your buddies and, and, you, and you try to stop doing those things that you used to do, and they look at you and go, dude, what's up, man? Why, why can't we do this anymore? Oh, we got all religious. And they start picking on you and they'll start tearing you down and they want to know why you're not hanging out with them the same old ways that you used to. Because you're supposed to be different, set apart. These things don't satisfy us anymore. But notice the graciousness of God to Abraham. When Abraham is in the midst of a situation where he is living amongst people like he used to be, verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. God is reminding Abraham of his promise. He's reminding Abraham of his faithfulness. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. In the midst of temptation, Abraham is not alone. God comes to remind him. And then in the midst of a pagan people, Abraham does the only thing he can. He builds an altar and he worships the Lord. He lives faithfully in front of those who were lost. He doesn't cave to the cultural pressure. He, he remembers the promises of God and he worships. He doesn't do like Solomon would do a, a few years later where he's not like, you know, I wonder if we can get some marital alliances. You know, I, I got all these servants. I wonder if we can kind of marry some people and kind of, kind of fix it. He doesn't do that. He just kind of waits on the Lord and just lives faithfully and just worships God. And notice, Abraham does not leave a house behind. He lived in a tent. He doesn't leave material possessions to be remembered by. The only thing that he leaves behind to be remembered by is an altar. What legacy do you leave behind? What legacy do you leave behind every day that you leave work amongst your coworkers or you leave school or you leave wherever you go? What is it that people say about you? What is, it that the, what is the first thing that comes to people's mind about you? What kind of legacy do you leave behind? Do they think, man, that guy loves Jesus. Man, they are so kind because they are a Christian. What do you leave behind? See, every one of us in this room have had seasons like that that are followed Jesus. We've had these mountaintop experiences, right, where we're on fire for the Lord and we're, we're getting it, we're getting after it, we're reading our Bibles, we're, we're in church, we're, we're serving, we're, we're doing it all. Those are great times and seasons in the life of a believer. And as Abraham is riding high and living right for the Lord, as you have been so many times, notice what happens next. The Bible says there arose a famine in the land. Famine, you know, there's no food, there's no water. He's in, he's in the desert. And, well, what am I going to do? But God, remember, God made a promise to him. Like, I will number your descendants as many in the stars. I will bless the whole world through you. Your offspring will inherit this land. He's made these promises. God said, I will do this. And when the famine comes, Abraham doesn't trust God. Abraham doesn't trust that, you know what God could provide? He doesn't see how he trusts what his eyes can see, not what the Lord can do. Because think about this. Just a few hundred years later, God's people would be in the desert again. And when they were hungry, God would make bread, manna, come from the sky. When they were hungry, he would make quails fall from the sky. When they were thirsty, he would make water come from a rock. God could have provided for Abraham, but he doesn't trust the Lord to do that. And so he trusts what his eyes are able to see, and he flees to Egypt. But it gets much worse than that. 
Not only does Abraham just not trust God that he could provide for him. As they get closer to Egypt, Abraham begins to get worried. He looks at his wife, who is not a young chick anymore. But yet she is still this ravishing, beautiful woman. Notice what he suggests. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife? And they will kill me. They will let you live. So say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So he's, he's on the road to Egypt, and he's saying, look, you are so hot that they're going to kill me and take you to be their wife. And so and don't let, don't let them know. Don't just tell me you're, you're my sister. So that way I'll be okay. And so he doesn't, I mean, women, wives, like, what would you do? Like, how does this guy not get, like, drop kicked in the face and say, see you, dude. I'm out of here. Like, I, 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 that's bold. But he's not trusting the Lord to protect him even while in Egypt. So not only does he lie, but now he lets Pharaoh marry his wife and sleep with her. And what the text tells us is all in all, Abraham is getting rich off the deal. Abraham is, because is, the Pharaoh is, is, is dealing well with him because of Sarai, and so he's getting all this money and all this wealth and getting rich. And so basically what has happened is Abraham has pimped off his wife to save his own head and to get rich. What a roll of 18 says. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away. Man, Abraham stands before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, wordless caught in his sin no defense for his actions what a picture of what it will be like when we stand before god as hebrews says bare before him exposed before him to whom we must give an account and we like abraham will be wordless no excuses so pharaoh sends him away and can't you imagine can't you imagine as pharaoh sends him away as he says to his guards and he gives them order, can't you imagine him saying, if this is what a believer looks like, I never want to meet one again. What happened? This dude was ki- killing it. He was walking with God. He was worshiping God. He was trusting God. He had, a, he had a slow start, but things were going well. He was on top of the mountain. How was it that he was able to screw it up so bad? Because even though we love God, we follow God, sometimes we let sin reign in our hearts and lives. But guys, what I want you to see this morning is this story gives us hope. You see, the Christian life is not this clean and simple, you, you get saved, you get called by God, and bam, there we go, we're good. No, man, what, what Paul says in Romans 7 gives me such, such comfort because Paul, the guy who writes three quarters of the New Testament, says, and I don't do the things I should do, and the things I should do, I don't do. Right? Like, Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? 
See, sometimes we think what the Christian life is like is if you picture a, like a, a graph, we think, uh, you know, you're here, right? You're here, you get saved. Well, okay, you start getting better. Maybe there's a couple humps, but you're constantly getting better and you're on up and on up and on up. That's not, that's not reality, right? Like following Jesus is full of mountaintops and valleys, good times and bad times, good seasons of faithfulness and obedience and times of rebellion. The Christian life looks more like this. See, your walk with Jesus is like Abraham's. It is God who called you, and it is God who will save you, but along the way there are these ups and downs. And sometimes when we're in those valleys, when, when we're screwing up, we're in, when, when, when we go back and we feel like we're failures, we wonder, man, is God going to get tired of forgiving me? Is God going to get tired of putting up with this mess of my life? You know, even after... I stopped praying every night in my bed, same prayer, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, save me. After I stopped doing that every night, it was still years of moments of doubt. When I, season, when I was in those valleys, I would, I would doubt, I'm like, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe, maybe I don't really love God. Maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe something didn't click or connect. Maybe, I've, maybe I could lose my salvation. Maybe I'm going to screw it up. Because I'm going to give you a verse. If this is you this morning and you, you're here and you say, and Brent, I've been there. I know that. I, I feel that. I, I'm there regularly. I want to give you a verse to hold on to. Write this on your hand. Put it on your mirror. Philippians 1.6. The God who began a good work in you will, will, will bring it to completion. The God who began a work in you will bring it to completion. You see, just because you are in the valley right now does not mean God is going to abandon you. He has called you, and once he has his sights on you, once he has made you his child, not even you can screw it up. John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. You are included in no one. You can't screw it up. See, so often our problem, the reason we get so down and so worried that God won't forgive us and we're in these ups and downs of our life is because we look at ourselves. We are judging God's love for us based on our performance for God. And what we've got to do is stop looking at us and start remembering what God has said. Stop looking at us and start looking to the gospel and look to Jesus. Even Abraham needed reminding of the gospel and the promises of God over and over and over again. But Abraham needed the gospel too. Every story whispers his name is the idea of this series. And this story is no less true. Galatians 3.8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. When God promised that, promised Abraham that he would bless him and bless the whole world through him, he wasn't lying because Abraham's great, 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 great grandson would come. And Jesus, like Abraham, was called to leave his home. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who was called to leave his home. But he had to go further than just to another country. He had to go further than just across the river. He had to go further than just across some land. Jesus left heaven came to earth 
But unlike Abraham and unlike us, Jesus always perfectly obeyed God. He always was on the mountaintop and never in the valley. He was sacrificed on a wooden cross so that his obedience would become our obedience. And so that our death became his death. Do you want to be blessed? Then look to the one to whom Abraham points. The one who will bless the whole world. When you are doubting, because you failed God yet again, remember not, well, I was good last week, maybe I can be good again. When you're in the valley, don't remember, maybe if I just go to camp again, or if I go on another mission trip, or if I go to another treat, I'll get it back. When you're in the valley, remember the faithfulness of God who said, I will do it. The God who began a good work, who will bring it to completion. He called you, he will finish it. Remember the gospel that says you are so sinful that Christ had to die, but so loved that he was glad to. See, what does the Christian life look like? It is an inconsistent, always trying, but often failing attempt to follow Jesus, who is always consistent in his unrelenting, never stopping love for you. Hear this. The Christian life, what it often looks like is an inconsistent, always trying but often failing attempt to follow Jesus who is always consistent in his unrelenting, never stopping love for you. See, God started the work. He called us. He will complete it, whether we're on the mountain or in the valley, wherever we're at. So rest easy, child of God, you're safe. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we are so thankful for your goodness toward us in Christ. We're thankful that you loved us when we're unlovable. We're thankful that you called us when we weren't seeking you. We're thankful that you are the God of salvation who redeems, who saves, even when we screw it up again and again and again. That your love never runs out. That your love is so, appears so reckless that you would leave the 99 sheep to come after the one. God, that you, She'll never stop coming after us. That even when we doubt, even when we wrestle, even when we struggle, even when we think, oh, he's going to be tired of forgiving me. He holds us in his hand, says you're mine. If you're here this morning and that's your story, your story is one of doubt and struggle and restlessness, I want you to let go of your performance. Stop looking at your life and I want you to look to the gospel because Jesus has performed for you. He has done what you couldn't do but he has given it to you, has credited to your account. And if you would this morning, if it would be helpful to you, I want you to come and just get on your knees at these steps before God and say, God, I want to give to you my performance. I want to give to you my effort. I want to give to you all of the the things that I've tried to do to make you love me. And I want to trust the gospel says you love me no matter how far I run. And if you're here this morning and you would say to me, Brent, I've looked at religion before and I've, I've tried it. It's never worked out for me. I want to say to you this morning, I don't care about religion. I care about the gospel that says Jesus loves you so much that he came to die for you and to live for you. He came to give you blessing. He came to change and transform your life. If you want that this morning, if you want to taste it, 
see if it's good. Come, let me, let these men up here share with you about that gift. If you're here this morning and you just need to come and pray, I would love to pray with you. These men would love to pray with you. You just need to come and kneel before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I need your reckless love. I need it. I'm in a valley right now, or I'm on the mountaintop and I'm worried the valley's coming, whatever. Stop being worried about whatever everybody in this room thinks of you, because heaven and hell are at stake. Your, your sanctification, your joy is at stake. Who cares about what people in this room think about you? What does the Lord think? Come and meet with him this morning. I pray you would do that. That would give us the courage to do that. We love you in Christ, and we pray all as people said. Let's stand and sing together.
shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming and never-ending reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm finally the 99 I couldn't earn it I don't deserve it till you give yourself away oh the overwhelming never ending reckless love of God guests this morning. I just want to say we're honored and so thankful you chose to be with us. Uh, I'd love to just meet with you for just a minute just to say, hey, uh, I'm going to be standing right in the back in the middle there. Just, I'd love for you to come by and just shake your hand, say hi to you. And we have a gift for you. Uh, we'd love to give to you and um, thanks for being here. Uh, we love you guys. We'll be with you. Stack chairs.